0: Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Sully Baseball. This is the podcast we talk about baseball. Fifty-two weeks out of the year, there is no off season, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this on a rainy night in Pasadena, California, overlooking the historic Rose Bowl, which I really can't see because it's just—it's you know—it's too. Dark. It's nighttime. What are you gonna do? Uh, I'm uh, it's raining here and I'm just we're all just counting the minutes. I mean we're we're right now we're in 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 late we're approaching late uh March. Oh, it's St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, I didn't even realize it's St. Patrick's Day until I just looked down. Yeah, it's St. Patrick's Day. Uh when your name is Sully, every day is St. Patrick's Day. So, you know, put on the pogs, do whatever you need to do, wear green. I'm actually I'm I'm wearing a shirt right now. That says uh, the Molly Maguire's Pub and has the harp And uh, from Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania Which is a beautiful town in the uh, Poconos, I guess it is In Pennsylvania, so I guess, yeah inadvertently, I'm wearing green on St. Patrick's Day So, there you go um, I'm going to talk about a couple of things Yesterday's podcast, I talked about domestic violence I'm going to talk about uh, less heavy stuff for on this particular podcast, it can't all be heavy. Um, I, you know, there was a tremendous amount of time that was spent on veterans not getting deals, and you know that you're not getting long term deals. And there's there's some veterans who are you know still unsigned. You know, we're still they're still on the outside looking in. A bunch of players, including p- people like you know Jose Bautista, who are just you know they, they don't have a home they on the home, and it could be that situation that if you are uh, a player without a tremendous amount of versatility, I mean, Jose Bautista can't play all over the diamond, and you know his numbers are going down, and he's in the wrong, you know, he's in the wrong side of being in the mid thirties. That the idea of giving him a big multi-year contract doesn't make sense. I mean, that's part of the analytic movement. I mean, this is. What what are teams supposed to do? I mean, I'm not a pro-owner, anti-player guy. But I am someone who's saying, wait a minute, what if this is just no longer a smart thing to do? What if someone says, we're better off paying money for players to, to have their prime with us than to pay for someone to not have their prime? And two moves that took place on uh, Thursday and Friday showed a little bit of what I'm talking about, a little clearer. If you're going to take a risk and you're going to say, we're going to give a Moustakis a three or four year deal, that's risky. That's risky. And look at what the Cincinnati Reds, not exactly the biggest spenders in baseball, gave uh, Eugenio Suarez a seven-year, $66 million contract. And this was a move, like, like you know, I joked, I said, I bet that Mike Moustakis wished that he had Eugenio Suarez's contract, but he gets a seven-year contract extension. Now, he has played for the Reds, he's given them about... Well, oh, let's just call it uh, four years of experience. The last two seasons, he showed that he is a you know, solid player who's got some good power, and he's going to be 26 years old. And the Cincinnati Reds, who he was not eligible to become a free agent until 2021, and the Reds just said, We're going to buy out his prime. We are saying, This is, we are putting a. We're putting a chance. We're gambling. We're bargaining that Suarez's seven years, which will be basically his prime, you know, the rest of his twenties, that that's what we're going to pay for. You know, we're going to make sure that he is, you know, that he can't bolt via free agency in the middle of his prime. Now this could backfire. I mean, he has yet to have a superstar season you know he is yet to be a you know someone that you look at and you go like oh my god this guy is one of the best players in baseball he is a good player um he's played every game you know almost every game the last two years 159 games 156 games has some decent home run numbers has some good offense and you're seeing that his you know, his total basis, his OPS, his OPS Plus, is all moving in the correct direction. And so the Reds, who uh, acquired uh, him in a deal with the Detroit Tigers in the Alfredo Simon trade, I said, you know, and he was uh, he was a prospect in the, the Tigers organization, and now he's here uh, with the Cincinnati Reds. The Reds are saying, he's a key part of our rebuilding process And he is someone that we are moving forward with. Now, you're not going to see Eugenio Suarez in any write up of the plight of the free agent because he wasn't a free agent. The Reds are gambling on someone's prime instead of paying for someone not in their prime. You understand what I'm saying there? You get what I'm saying? That this could be the smarter thing to do. Instead of paying for someone on the decline, they're gambling. They're paying for his ascent. Now it could backfire, and Suarez could flame out. But Suarez takes a look and said, "Look, at They have. They're going to you know lock him up. You know for the was it the next." Uh, uh, seven years, and I'm sure, like, I don't know all the details of the contract. I mean, I'm looking at foxsports.com as, um, you know, the, the club option for 2025. Um, they basically said, okay, you're going to be free agent after 2020. We're going to take five, we're going to get five years out of that. We're going to, you know, you're going to move on. We're going to buy out your free agent years. So this is the equivalent of him signing a five-year contract in a few years with a team. And that could be the smart thing to do. That could be the new normal. But it makes more sense for teams if you're going to spend that money. If you're going to spend that money, then you're better off getting what you pay for getting quality years instead of being paid for past services. And there was another extension took place, Jose Altuve. Jose Altuve gets a five-year deal. Um, I, again, I'm a little confused of you know when it kicks in and everything like that, but essentially they are going to make sure that his entire prime is going to be with the Houston Astros. And he will have spent, you know, the... Over, the ten, over 10 years as a member of the Astros. And the Astros are saying, you know, are we going to spend this money bringing in big-time free agents or making sure we don't have to worry about Jose Altuve skedaddling? Now they have to worry about Carlos Correa, and it may be hard for them to sign both of them, but now they don't have to worry about are we going to keep neither of them. This way it's under team control. This way they can look up. I mean, the minute Jose Altuve puts his big toe on the field in 2018, that'll be his eighth season with the Houston Astros. In this day and age, if you play 10 or, you know, ten seasons with a team, you really can't ask for more than that. And you're looking at a guy who, in a few years, it'll be 10 years for Jose Altuve, has the gold gloves, has the MVP, has the silver slugger, has the postseason glory. You know, is, has the batting titles and the hits titles and everything like that, is probably the most likely candidate to get 3,000 hits. As we're seeing, he's turning into a, a, a solid home run hitter as well. We're putting together. He's, he's already done the hard parts for a Hall of Fame career. And this way, he'll have the MVP, the championship, and the identity with one franchise, even if he winds up going somewhere else later on in his career. Now, this isn't talking about collusion or anything. In the end, isn't that a smarter way to spend lots of money? Isn't that a smarter thing to do to say we are gambling on Jose Altuve's prime, Eugenio Suarez's prime, and not a player's descent. Mike Bustakis, you know, he's he's young enough that I believe he will eventually wind up you know, he's going to play this one season with the Kansas City Royals and then I you know, if he has a good year, you know, he plays with a chip on his shoulder, he'll translate that into a into a bigger contract. And sometimes these deals can fall on their face. You know, sometimes you take a chance. And you know, Vernon Wells is a classic example of that that he was supposed to be the the great superstar and the the Blue Jays signed him to a long term deal and he he started to decline once he signed the big long term deal. You know, the Kansas City Royals signed Alex Gordon to a contract that's going to have him there through the end of the twenty twenty season. They they gave him a big huge honking contract. And he has already played eleven seasons with the Royals and, you know, gold gloves and all star appearances and part of the world championship, but his last two seasons have been terrible. He was terrible last year. You know he was he I mean, if you like war and and saber metrics, he was a zero point one, which meant he was he was a replacement player. He was an average player. you know and that and, and you look at his numbers the last couple of years, whether it's using saber metrics or using traditional stats, it was ugly. And you could say, Jesus, maybe they should have let him walk and, and try to keep Eric Cosmer, But that's the gamble you take, just like the gamble you take signing a free agent. The free agent could be a bust arenio Pablo Sandoval, Paging Carl Crawford. Or it could be a positive thing. But what is more likely to be a positive thing? To hope that a player continues his elite production through his 30s or signing someone in their prime. That's not collusion. That's understanding risk management. That's understanding if we're going to spend X amount of money, which is the best use of that money? The Cincinnati Reds. Became a big spender this year. But they'll not be listed because it wasn't a free agent signing. I mean, it'll be, it'll be tough if you're a player in your 30s and you, haven't, you, you don't have a multi-year deal. You may be one of those people who bounce around from team to team because that, that may just be the new reality. You may see players who retire. You know, Jose Bautista may not find a team. And I I don't wish ill on Jose Bautista because he was, you know, he was a really exciting player to watch. Hit some big, huge, memorable home runs. and one of the great bat flips of all time. You know? He played 10 years with the Toronto Blue Jays. And part of me just wants to, hey, Toronto, just, just offer him something so he can go back to... Skydome, or whatever the hell it's called now, and do what he's supposed to do. I mean, he had 23 home runs home last year, but a lot of people hit a lot of home runs last year. He played 157 games, but it doesn't mean he was good. He, I mean, if, if you like batting average, his batting average was terrible. If you like OPS, his OPS was the definition of mediocre. He's going to be 37. And his stats have been on the decline. You know, in 2015, when the the Blue Jays were terrific, and he not only hit 40 home runs, and if you like RBIs, he knocked in 114, but he also led the league in walks. His OPS was 913. Last year, it was in the sixes. In two years, it dropped from the nines to the sixes. Now, do I think he could make a decent DH? Do I think that he could make a decent slugger off the bench? Yeah, but do you know what? There's really not much of a market for that. And that's not a collusion. that's just saying, eh, do you know what? there's not really a place for him anywhere. You know, maybe you know, there's a guy who's a top 10 MVP finisher in both 2014 and 2015 and suddenly can't get a job. Well, sometimes that happens. You know, I think what's going to wind up happening is he's going to sign with a team either as a minor league free agent or sign with an independent team, and eventually a team will need a boost or need a home run hitter at one point this year, and he'll find a home and he may translate to another contract. But isn't it smarter to sign Eugenio Suarez than Jose Bautista right now? Does that make me anti-union? Does that mean I'm a union buster? And I'll tell you the other thing, next year I mean if they're still doing this whole, you know, qualifying offer, if you take a look around and say, you know, you start sniffing saying, "Hmm, what's out there?" Accept that qualifying offer. <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know, it would have been an additional $10 million or something like that in Mike Mustox's bank account. So there are moves. There are signings being done. It's just not the big free agent signings in the way that we were hoping for this big feeding frenzy. But it, it leads to another thing that, that, that struck me. I haven't talked about the, the Jake Arietta signing very much because it, it's, it took me a day or two to kind of digest it. The Phillies brought in Arietta because they have so much money off the books now. Their payroll is so low, and they're a high revenue team. And they have young pitchers like uh, you know, Nick Pivetta and Jared Ickoff and Aaron Nola and Vince Velasquez and say, hey, what if we put a major league, like, like a, a solid major leaguer in that, that team? Now, I really think that if I were Washington, if I were the Washington Nationals, I just would have signed Arrieta and said, screw it, let's just have the deepest rotation we could have. But he's with Philly now, and it's a three-year deal, which is a smart deal, because I do think Arrieta is going to be good this year. I really do. I think he's going to be a solid pitcher. And he might be pretty good the second year. By the third year, I think he he will probably be out of gas, but then, you know, there's no such thing as a bad one-year deal, and having someone like Arietta take the pressure off of a Nola and a Pavetta and everyone like that may not be the worst thing in the world. Kind of like when you look at their infield, and you know you've had some players like you know Freddie Galvis and you know Cesar Hernandez who are you know who are promising, but you also have you know Michael Franco who was terrific out of the gate but has been really struggling since to put a Carlos Santana at first and say, you don't need to worry about this. We got it. We got got first base. You don't have to worry about first base. You know, the thing about what the Phillies are doing is I'm looking at them going, are they going to be a surprise contender? Especially if they look at the remaining free agents and say, I wonder if we could just fill in whatever holes we need to right now. You can rebuild and win at the same time. Especially if the moves that you make while you're rebuilding are not long-term moves that will clog up your payroll, but are short-term moves that are allowing you to Rebuild and develop. You know, I keep thinking about that 2013 Red Sox team. The 2013 Red Sox won the World Series in a rebuilding year. That was a rebuilding year. And they won it all. And that sounds weird because you rebuild a team to become a champion, not become a champion with the rebuilding. It just happened that way. It just happened that, they, were, that you know, they took a look at the team that they had in 2011, which was supposed to be the championship team, and they committed long-term deals to um, uh, Adrian Gonzalez and to Carl Crawford, and they had other long-term deals that just were not working out. And they shed those contracts and said, we're going to focus on building a team up from within our organization. And while some of those players aren't ready yet, we're going to bring some other players in short-term. They're not long-term solutions. Johnny Gomes was a short-term solution. Mike Napoli, Koji Uehara, uh, Jake Peavy, uh, uh, who was brought in at a trade, but um, who are some of the other ones? Uh, Drew, um, I mean, these were all uh, Shane Victorino. These are all players who are just who are going to give you a couple of years. We just we need placeholders, and when you see some of these teams that are tanking, you can look at that Red Sox team and say, "Hey, look at we can still build for the future." And the Red Sox did. It went, you know, they built up the Benettendis and the Xander Bogarts and the Mookie Betts and the Jackie Bradley Juniors. All of them got to just stay through the farm. And yes, Bradley was part of the 2013 team as a reserve. He didn't, wasn't on the postseason roster. And yes, Xander Bogarts wound up starting a good deal of that postseason, especially after Will Middlebrooks faded out. But they were building a team, and they had these temporary stopgaps. And that could be the solution for some of these unsigned free agents, especially for some of these teams that are indeed tanking. You know, if you say, all right, we're not going to go for it this year, maybe part of not going for it means you're building up your farm system, but you're not rushing them. You're allowing them to develop. You're allowing them to put together. And the players you put in there are not going to clog up your payroll and not going to be, oh, God, we got this guy for another five years. Red Sox didn't do that, and it wound up working out. They won the World Series in 2013 that bought a little goodwill with a franchise. And by 2016 and 17, they were back-to-back division winners, and now they're a contender again. With a lot of players that they built up from the farm and a lot of deals that they made that they could not have made without what was available in the farm, especially the Chris Sale trade. So the Phillies bring in Arietta, and they bring in, you know, that they have... Brought in some veterans to a team that is quite young, that they have a team that they put two sticks of dynamite in a few years ago to rebuild. The Phillies could be an interesting club, especially if they allow the rebuild to happen and to use band aids that will be gone in a couple of years. There's going to be a tremendous free agent class coming up that could include Clayton Kershaw, that could include uh, Manny Machado, and will almost certainly include Bryce Harper. And if you have a young team with a couple of strategic veterans there, a lot of money, Philadelphia is a high-revenue team, they got a big television contract, and, oh yeah, payroll flexibility brings someone in, then the likes of a Bryce Harper would be a really attractive commodity. And it would be an added attractive commodity if they're not coming off of a 90-something loss season. What was that? They were 66 and 96 last year. The Phillies are an interesting team because if Arietta can say every five games, I'm going to give you a reliable start. And Nola takes the next step, and Eikoff or Velasquez, one up taking the next step. And some of the other teams that you're thinking may, you know, whether the, you know, the Giants or the Cardinals or the or Colorado or Arizona or Milwaukee, if one of those teams doesn't step forward, stumbles on, you know, stumbles on their face like St. Louis and San Francisco did last year a team like Philadelphia could be quite scary and could be lining up for the big move. You know, I'm looking at Machado. I'm looking at Bryce Harper. Hell, I'm looking at Clayton Kershaw. And to create the foundation of that, and to create the foundation of a team that would attract a huge superstar, that's the key to this season. And if they wind up winning and doing something like the Red Sox did in 2013, well, even better. Keep an eye on Philadelphia. If I were the National League, they're waiting in the weeds there. They blew up the team. They got some things back. They did it too late. They dealt Cole Hamels too late. They dealt uh, Jimmy Rollins, and they dealt Chase Utley too late. But maybe they've learned from it. And maybe, after blowing the team up, much like the Red Sox did in 2011, using strategic players, strategic veterans, the ones who are not signing to the long-term deals like you do to a Suarez, like you do to an Altuve, could be lining up the Phillies for the run to the postseason. That may take them to the end of the decade as one of the big, solid teams. Especially... If they can do it while depleting the Washington Nationals, all things to think about. And uh, by the way, I, I have uh, my notes here, uh, and I'm gonna—I was going to talk about this on this podcast, but you know what? I'm—I um, think I've talked about it enough. Uh, I am going to talk about the putting the runner on second base concept, which I'm not thrilled about, and why I think the rule of what will help save the pitchers and not have games get out of control? The rule that I think will work—that's been brought up, that's been bandied about—to me, it's a no-brainer, and it won't affect the outcome of the pennant race in ways that some people think. So that's my little preview for my next episode, which I'm going to drop either Monday or Tuesday. But anyway, celebrate St. Patrick's Day, celebrate responsibly. Go to Solid Baseball dot uh, com, like me you on know, Facebook, on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram, and everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kalisky. S- looking around and seeing, you know what, there are big contracts being, you know, thrown around, just not to the older players, because that's maybe the direction baseball's going in. This has been Sully Baseball for St. Patrick's Day of 2018. I'm your host, Pope Francis Sullivan. Please call me Solis.